This is the Off Duty On Duty Podcast, episode number 52. I'm your host, Brian Eastridge. Welcome to the podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com podcast network. On the Off Duty On Duty Podcast, we take topics relevant to today's gun owners and we tackle them from the perspective of everyday concealed carriers, perspective of law enforcement officers to give you both angles of discussion. Today, I'm going to be joined by Les Pep. Les Kismertoni, a.k.a. Les Pepperoni, and we're going to talk about average guy CCW. So you got a cop and you got a USPSA GM, and we're going to talk about a path to success for average guys concealed carry, kind of holding along the same, uh, uh, holding to the same theme that we did with uh, Amy Langdon last week. But first... Going to talk sponsors. Excess Sites, title sponsor of the podcast. Check them out at excesssites.com. They use tritium and photoluminescent paint technology to uh, enhance your abilities or, or your your sights on your gun. They just make good stuff, right? EDC Belt Company, the foundation belt, which uh, Les is wearing, as am I. At edcbeltco.com, we'll be at the Guardian Conference. Check out CCW Safe, ccwsafe.com, legal service membership for concealed carriers and law enforcement officers. The most comprehensive coverage by the most experienced team. If you want 10% off your membership, enter code OFFDUTY10 at checkout. All right, Guardian Conference is coming up. It's right around the corner, September uh, 17th, 18th, 19th at the Oklahoma City Gun Club. Uh, I will be there uh, with bells on, with the belt company and teaching. And uh, you guys have uh, flattered me by uh, a bunch of you guys have requested to come to my block of instruction. Plus, you'll get to meet Michael Burgess from MSRT uh, out in North Carolina. And uh, come say hi. Even if you don't sign up for the class, come say hi. And then I'll make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Uh, Let's see. Oh, the Concealed Carry Podcast giveaway. Last week's winner was POW, uh, P-A-U. And he won a barrel block. Next week's prize is a vehicle firearms tactics DVD or digital copy. So if you don't have a DVD player. Uh, you got to sign up weekly. Remember, those are in all of these are in the show notes. I uh, apologize, guys, for last week. I didn't get an episode out on Thursday like I normally. Every Thursday, you can expect to hear hear from me. I lost my voice and I had to reschedule a guest. So, as you can tell, I still I'm still kind of regaining it. So, sorry about that, everyone. But uh, you know, next week we'll be back on track. All right. Let's bring in our guest. All right. Welcome. First time guest on uh, this podcast, the off-duty, on-duty podcast. Uh, Les, I already kind of did a tease the intro there for a couple of days. So um, cool. give me like the 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 short bio because I know a lot of people follow you on Instagram and uh, th- that's where I actually started kind of really becoming uh, keen to your shooting prowess so to speak and uh and then seeing the site that signature rear site you guys had with uh wilson combat and some other stuff so uh just kind of give me the little short bio if you don't mind 
Sure. Yeah. So uh, my name's Les Kismartoni. I'm 100% fake Italian. Um, <laughs> so awesome. Since, since no one could actually pronounce my last name, which is Hungarian, um, I, I kind of got the nickname of Pepperoni, especially because I was shooting the bread of pistols and right. like the bread of pistol for a long time. Um, so uh, I grew up around Chicago and I live in Florida. Um, shooting has been kind of a nice outlet. Uh, I, I came to shooting really late in life when I was 30 and I just kind of needed something to do. So I took the 22 to the range and saw that some guys were having a USPSA match. And I was like, I can do that and kind of jumped in on that. Um, it was fun. I didn't know how deep the rabbit hole would go and ended up earning a, a GM card, which is a, you know, the yeah. highest you can go without like having to win a nationals or an area match or something. Um, so I, I tried to practice diligently and to, to get to that level. It was a lot of fun. Uh, met a lot of really cool people, traveled the world a little bit to, uh, to shoot matches and meet other people. Um, and, um, yeah, I've just been, um, I've just been shooting a lot. I shot for a Wilson combat team for a while. And that's where we, uh, of course, Bill Wilson and the Wilson crew were making awesome parts for the Beretta that they, they still make awesome parts for the Beretta and Langdon, of course, make some really great stuff for the Beretta pistol and being a Beretta enthusiast. Um, I had my hand in helping to develop that rear sight. Um, but that's all Wilson stuff, right? It's the square notch site. You won't see it as the pepperoni site unless you go to Langdon site. But, um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, I'm not bitter. No, not at all. Um, maybe, maybe just a little, but anyway, um, I still love to shoot. Um, I, I love to answer people's questions about Beretta pistols, and and they're they're kind of coming. I want to say coming back from obscurity. It's not like they went anywhere, but now there's so much focus on them because, of course, the Wilsons have their Brick Tacks and their Centurions, mm -hmm. um, and then of course Langdon has all these awesome pistols and the Red Dot system for the for the pistol. And uh, even Beretta has noticed that their own pistol is really awesome and has been making the really cool 92X performance in the 92X series, which is really neat. So um, anybody who's on Instagram who's got Beretta questions, sometimes I can help, um, you know, give some advice where, where it may be warranted or, or, or not. And, um, and I still get out and shoot a whole bunch. So um, in my regular day when I'm not playing Superman and I'm just Clark Kent, then I'm actually a software engineer. I work for a startup here in Florida. Uh, we do a lot of medical imaging. Okay. So I'm just a, I'm just an average dude um, who, you know, using some powers of deduction, tried to figure out how to get better at something and, uh, and went out and did it. So that was, if I can do it, anybody can. Yeah. So <laughs> my, my theme, the last couple episodes has been like, uh, you know, you don't have to be a GM to be a concealed carrier. You don't have to be a cop with hours and hours of training to be a, a to be a proficient concealed carrier, right? I, I mean, and I think a lot of what we get lost in translation is trying to make comparisons with, well, you know, this this cop says this, the GM says this, and. I just bought my first gun. Like, uh, what, what, where do I go now? You know, yeah. and, and trying to lay out a roadmap for people 
to say, Hey, look, you, you don't have to, uh, you know, appendix carry a full size 92 with a red dot and four magazines. It's not, it, it, it that does, it's not like the bar of entry here. Um, so let's, let's talk to that I point. Wanna, a little I, I want to know what malls those guys are going to, right. You know, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, I had, I had, a. I want to avoid those places, right? <laughs> right. That's kind of the, I occasionally like I appendix carry a 92. Um, sure. and, and a lot of it's just convenience. Cause I have a lot of gear for that gun. I mean, I have yeah, a lot yeah. of holsters, a lot of mags, a lot, um, because I've been shooting one. It's been in rotation for over 20 years now. So, right. you know, you accumulate gear and people see that and they think, Oh man, I could never do that. I, I could next. Sure. Yeah. Like, like holsters and yeah, uh, like yeah, bags of holsters and yeah. Yeah. It, but sometimes people see that from the concealed carrying populace, you know, maybe average Joe that just wants to have a gun for self-defense. He looks at me and he goes, that's, that's a little, that's a tall order. And, yeah. and then I have to kind of back that conversation up and go, look, this, this is what I prefer. And it, you know, for all these host of reasons, but this is not necessarily the best path for you to take right now. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and that conversation gets lost a lot. Um, I think, I think you hit on something really interesting. It's, it's what you prefer. Right. And that entire, the entire gist of the conversation hinges on the point of preference. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem with, you know, or not the problem with a beginner, but that's the problem that a beginner has is the fact that they have no preferences yet. And they haven't done anything um, in regard to an activity to develop an opinion about what works or what doesn't or, um, you know, how this shakes out or, or whatever. So if you're an aspiring cook uh, and you're trying a recipe, then sometimes you might need to rep it out a few times and, and figure it doesn't need more salt, less sugar, more onions, less, less carrots. I don't know. Um you know, so you develop like a taste and that that's essentially what the preference is. And it's the same thing with, with guns or, you know, do you really like ping golf clubs versus brand X or whatever? You know, so the point is, is you've got to, you've got to play golf for a little bit to understand what you're getting into. Just like with, with firearms, you've got to maybe shoot a little bit to understand what are the pros and cons or what's working or what isn't. And, um, uh, People who are looking to have perfection out of the gate, I think that's that's kind of that that and you know, it's it's people aren't able to do that, right? right. I mean, you, you can't set yourself up from the get go and say, "Hey, I'm going to do something at the best best of my ability, best of if you've never if you've never done it." Um, I think you really need to uh, to explore how something is going to work. And then go and try it out a few times, and then you can tweak things. And then you'll you'll have a more nuanced opinion. And that doesn't take long to form. Maybe maybe a few months to a year or something. But uh, um, I, I think that's a big um, a big problem that a lot of beginners have. It, it's you know before you have a preference, maybe something with something which works for most of the people is a is a really solid place to start. You know, everybody recommends a Glock, right? And Hey, that's right. not a bad thing, especially now with the, you know, 48 Glock and 43s and all that stuff. It's, it's pretty cool. 
Um, yeah, we're kind of in a golden age. Uh, we we are right. Yeah when I, when I when I stepped into the shooting realm, you know, you're talking assault weapons ban, magazine capacity restrictions, all these things, and everything got really stagnant. And yeah. it was it was a unique time because everybody went back to 1911s, and yeah. it was like the resurgence of that platform that really hasn't. It's slowed down, but it hasn't stopped. And the innovation there, I mean, look at, you know, Staccato and some of these other companies. Um, And at that time, you know, the two pistols to have were you either had a a Milt Sparks Summer Special with a 1911 in it, or or you had uh, a Beretta 92 that you you sent to our our brother Ernest and had him dial in. And you had that in some sort of... uh, you know, like a blade tech or something. And it was kind of, that was the two premier things that were really prevalent in the competition circles and also in the carry circles. Cause I mean, who made, you know, a mid, a compact gun other than the G 19, maybe nobody else sure. made that, like that sweet spot, mid size gun to kind of that you could take an entry level person and also somebody that's really proficient and it would cover all the bases. Um, that was the G nineteen was kind of the only game for that, and yeah, everything yeah. else was maintenance heavy or parts restricted or whatever. So uh, or now, hard to shoot. or right. very hard to shoot, right? And yeah. uh, now, fast forward a little bit, it's like you can walk into your local gun shop and there's there's you know ten different platforms in every manner of size, shape, and configuration that to pick from. So. Uh, and sometimes that drives, uh, especially newer people that gets to be intimidating. Cause it's like you give somebody the, all you can eat buffet and yeah. it's like, well, I really want the noodles, but the lobster looks good too. You know, I mean, it's like, what do I, what do I throw my effort into? You know, right. um, that's a, that's a good one. It's a, it's that paralysis by analysis. It's like, it's, um, there's so many decisions to make. Should I buy a, you know, a SIG 365 or the, the new Glock? And, and then people, you know, everybody does this, right? You get on the internet and you start to research, hey, what works and what, uh, what gun writer is being paid to promote what and, mm-hmm. and whatever. And, and who, who am I going to believe? And at the end of the day, I, I think because there is still – for the beginning shooter, right. Or for the person who's trying to get into it, mm-hmm. the, the saving grace is I don't think that there is a bad choice. I think all those guns from all those manufacturers are really good. And if you buy any of them, if you just close your eyes and you, and you pick, or maybe a better option is you just feel what works in your hands or you rent it and you, you pop a few rounds and Hey, this seems to feel okay comparatively to, to anything else. Great. And you just buy one and then you get into it, then you'll start to develop that, that, um, that opinion, right. Where you can basically say, Hey, I would prefer to have something this way or that way, or man, these sites are real fuzzy and maybe I need a red dot or, or whatever. But, um, I think that's the thing. Everybody tends to do all this research ahead of time before they've even made a choice on, on, on getting into something. And it's almost like the, the wrong, maybe that's the wrong thing. Maybe you should just do something. And then as you're doing it, 
start to try and figure out like, hey, maybe I need to do a little research because this doesn't work for me. I want to do something else. And, um, and I think that's, that, that's probably a really good um, template. It's for, for people who are, if you've just bought a firearm or if you're just about to go and buy something, it's okay, you know, go to a gun shop, buy something from a reputable company. If you bought something from a reputable company and you're like, and now what? You know, the best thing to do is probably to go shoot it, take a class, take a couple classes, go go and actually like compete. And we'll probably talk a little bit about that. And then once you've actually done that for a little bit, that's when you can say, okay, I, I don't like this. I don't like this compact handgun that I bought because it's kind of hard to shoot. I want to buy a full size or, Hey, this is really cool. And I'm going to consider carrying it. And the fact that I carry it and also shoot it in the match is something that, that seems to pay dividends, you know, Hey, that, that, that seems to work. And that's where you start to develop those opinions and flesh those out. Right. Yeah. I'm really fortunate. You know, it, the Metro of Oklahoma city, we've got, we've got two really good, uh, indoor gun ranges. We've got one that's kind of out on the rural area. Uh, that's an indoor range, you know, climate controlled, comfortable, not, uh, you know, not the intimidating, go to the, go to the empty bay and hang your own target kind of thing, which, um, and we have several of those too, but all of our indoor ranges have, uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to throw a plug to Will Andrews at Wilshire gun club. That dude, we one time we were talking about classes and he was kind of the first guy in the metro to really open up defensive shooting classes and uh to just open enrollment you know everything else was hey do you know a cop do you know a shooter do you know some um and kind of struck vouch for you yeah and they would he was kind of the first guy to really structure it and put together you know he'd gone to farnham and a bunch of all these other you know hackathorn and all those dudes back in the 80s and he, when we talk about it, he's like, you know, I build cars. I, I take people and I, I, I build the entire car from, right. I just got my handgun to now I'm taking a, a defensive shooting class for three or four hours. And right. he said, after that, it's, it's turtle wax. It's how do I put the polish on the car? And, yeah. uh, and I really, I, I admire that, especially with Will, because he, is so passionate about don't make this intimidating. Don't make this a, a a high bar to jump over, to get, to get involved in it. So yeah. Thanks. Will Andrews from Oklahoma shooting skills. He's not paying me at all. I just, he's a dear friend and, um, and he was shooting, you know, IPSC and USPSA and IDPA back in the day when it was kind of a, I won't say counterculture, but it was like, Ooh, what do those guys do? You know, and, and still doing the defensive shooting stuff and has fostered this crop of really good, proficient shooters. I mean, like hundreds and hundreds of them that now go, okay, this is who I want to train with. This is, I, I like this holster versus this one. Uh, and having the access to all that gear at a range where, Hey, you go to, you go to the pistol basics class and you're going to put hands on a whole bunch of different guns, a whole bunch of different holsters, talk through how they, how they work, how they function, how do you use them? How do you safely do all this stuff? What's the difference in ammunition, et cetera, et cetera. So. I think, uh, I think that's the, that's the big thing is, you know, when people are starting out, you know, if you, if you get something 
and you go to take a class, you're generally going to have like pretty good exposure to other people who are in kind of the same boat, um, some level of professionalized instruction where they're going to help you demystify things. And it's not, you know, it can be a little intimidating. You know, you had Amy, Amy Langdon down here mm -hmm. a little bit ago, and she's talking about how, you know, first she puts the gun in someone's hands, you dry fire, you know, right. then you load one bullet and, you know, the gun pops and it's like, okay, it's not, you know, it's just the nine millimeter. It's not like a nuclear bomb or anything going off in front of your face. It's like, it's fine. Then, then we load up a few and you shoot a few more and then you start to figure out how to use the sights. And it's like, Oh, okay. Now I'm starting to feel more comfortable with it. And I think that that's, that's what's missing in a lot is um, uh, there's a lot of really great beginner classes out there. And I'm not even talking about like the NRA, you know, basics pistol class because it's, there's so much about cleaning the gun and whatever, which is all really important. But, but I think just getting people out and letting them put their hands on a gun shooting and getting them at least a little more comfortable with what the process is that that's key. And I think there's so many ranges out there all across the nation that, that have an instructor that they can recommend that are going to be able to help you do that or help like the beginner do that. I think that's, that's huge. And that, that, that's where a lot of this starts. And if you can't, if you can't find that hell, just going out to like a, a match, um, even if you're going to spectate and asking a few people, Hey, do you know any instructors or anything like that, 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 that word of mouth and that reputation is probably going to point to some, some person or group of people that are going to be able to like help you out. I think that's, um, that, that's, a, that's a good thing. Yeah. I, I, when I showed up to my first IDPA match, you know, and I, I'm not a real introverted person so I, I walked right in i paid the registration you know and i i said who's the match director like who's who's in charge and their yeah. the guy taking money was like i am and i said it's my first match um don't put me number one on anything here i i and he was like cool i'll let you go last in every single stage um and i'm going to squad you with some people that that uh i trust you know that that kind of maybe not the dudes competing for the match overall uh right. the guys that are you know expert level a card b card kind of shooters that sure have been there done that and he's still a friend of mine to this day and i appreciated him doing that it was like oh okay this takes a lot of pressure off and these guys are are not here to like try to beat me they're here to try to like usher me into this 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 yeah club you know and uh that was a a huge help but i think you know some people get intimidated by that and i told some people i'm like hey when you go to pay for your match go hey i'm new can you squad me with some people or hey do you have anybody that that uh, can help walk me through this and there's always one or two dudes or or guys or gals or whatever that are willing to take the time out and go let me here's some equipment you can borrow here's this yeah um, let me show you how to do this safely or, and you know, you're watching other shooters and they're, they're talking about what they're doing while they're doing it. Um, so yeah, I, I, it seems like with guns, there's this big level of intimidation because it's noisy and there's specialized equipment and, you know, there's all these intimidating factors. And when you get on, you know, some of the social media 
You know, it's like plate carriers and all this other, you know, all this other hoopla. And it's like, Hey, look, to be a defensive handgunner carrier that there's not a huge high bar to entry. And there's yeah. people out there that are willing to help you with that. So, well, cool. I think, I think it's part, part, it's maybe part of that decision, right? It's like, um, you know, there's nothing wrong to want to get into, you know, you know, nods and plate carriers right. and do that kind of stuff. And that, that is a very specialized, you know, element of training. And, uh, there's some very specialized gear that has a, has a certain purpose. And there, there's some really great instructors that are doing some of that stuff too. But, but it's one of those decisions that somebody has to make. Is that, is that where I want to go right off the bat? Or maybe do I want to just get some proficiency with being able to shoot a handgun that I might consider carrying, you know, most of the time and, uh, and build myself up to, Hey, maybe one day I'll, you know, have an AR and learn how to use it. And maybe I'll, you know, since I've been shooting a while, I might need to have some passing familiarity with nods or something just because it's, it's something to do and it's something to, to explore. But, um, and, uh, you know, kind of funny, I didn't have an AR for, for the longest time. I was just, you know, pistol guy I was in Chicago. There was nowhere to shoot an AR. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we had a couple of, uh, indoor ranges in there, you know, tw- 20 yards or whatever, but, uh, you know, take an AR to go shoot in an indoor lane. It just kind of didn't, just didn't sit right. So it wasn't until much later that I finally, when they started building a couple of really nice outdoor ranges around Chicago that I finally bought an AR and was like, okay, so that's what that's about. But, uh, um, at that point I was already pretty decent pistol shooter. So demystifying the AR was like, okay, this is, you know, great, let's do it. And, and anything else, you know, a couple, couple of, uh, couple of sets of instruction could really like fix the noise there, you know? So, yeah, I, yeah. I, I had a unique childhood, you know, having a dad that was like a tactical unit officer and, uh, a gun shop. So like from the time I, I can't remember a time in my life. Cause I think prior to three, I can't really remember any of that, but guns were always around. They were always a thing. And we were always shooting sometime, you know, you know what I mean? It was yeah. like, it, yeah. Yeah. And I used to think that's how every kid grew up. And now yeah. I look back and I go, no, that was the exception, not the rule. Um, yeah. You know, I can remember being seven and my dad showing me how to like shotgun an AR and take the bolt out and all this stuff. And I'm like, wow. So, uh, you know, fast forward like 13 years, I joined the army and I'm like, oh, this is like old hat. This, this is, this is no big deal. Uh, but a lot of the people that I was in there with were like, I've never seen a gun before in real life, you know? So it was a pretty uh, kind of a culture shock, I, I would say, but. But you know, uh, as I was going to say, growing up in Chicago, my, my experience was the exact opposite. You know, uh, first generation American um, parents are off the boat and uh, wow. so to speak. And, um, uh, you know, back in the old country, the only people who had guns were military or police or criminals. And, you know, usually uh, those are all the same people. It's kind of a knock on you guys, but, uh, I'm, I'm but, uh, um, but, uh, but the point is, is that, you know, only, only a very small subset of the population actually had even access to firearms. And it's not something that was the experience growing up in, in a, in an immigrant household. And, um, uh, 
it was really intimidating to get into it in you know my late 20s you know 30 when i first bought my gun uh first gun and uh you know it's really interesting there's a lot of like catch up to do you know read masada yub stuff or uh listening to db has been really amazing um just because there's a lot of gaps and a lot of that like oh yeah i remember hearing moss talk about that or you know or Givens mentioned that in passing, you know, when I was taking a shotgun class and it's like, you start thinking these things through and it's like, wow, there, there's still a lot to learn. And, um, and some of that, as he's called it, institutionalized knowledge, right. As people are sinking out of, of law enforcement or of these, you know, posted careers and whatever, then, um, you know, we're in danger of kind of losing some of that. So we got to pay attention. So, but yeah, D- yeah, I, I digress. Yeah, yeah D- DB and and Hanny have been like a refresher course for my mind for stuff that I was soaking up for twenty some years and just kind of kind of shelved it. So yeah. uh, those guys are both like historians of 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 the sort, you know, whether it be on yeah. classic firearms or you know classic training models and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, it's. It, it's been a real fascinating uh, dive to, to be able to have access to people like them and Dobbs and, and then yeah. people from like the mod, what I would call the modern era, not referencing modern, the modern technique of the handgun. Uh, sure. But, but guys like yourself that, Hey, I started in my thirties. It's like, Oh wow. You know, yeah. that's a, especially once you've got like the male ego solidified and all that walking into a gun shop in your thirties has got to be kind of intimidating. Cause it's like, especially as a dude, because Hey, people expect me to know these things or whatever. And, and that's not, I find that's not the case. And I just, uh, have spent a lot of time mentoring a friend of mine, uh, in the bicycling community that yeah. at 50 years old decided to buy his first handgun. And now he's up to five handguns and he's shortened that learning curve a lot because, you know, he's at a point in his life, he had some disposable income and he's like, well, I don't like this gun. I'm going to sell it and move to this one. And, and, and he's starting to, it's like a compact version of the learning, the growth and learning challenges that we go through over, you know, a 10 year span. Um, so, but, but, but therein lies, therein lies the truth, right? Is the fact that, he got exposure, mm-hmm. was able to to bounce the topic around right for a while and solidify it in terms of a couple of opinions that he, he figured would work better for him, and uh, and he's able to to test those out and and, uh, and play around with that and and let it coalesce into something that's going to work for him or, or what he thinks is going to work for him, right? And um, and that that answer is maybe slightly slightly different for everybody. Um, you know, there's many paths to Rome. There's many paths to the Glock firearm, right. Or Beretta, mm-hmm. right. But, uh, you kind of, you kind of start to figure that out and that, that, that's that exposure allows you to build that opinion. And I think that's, that's huge. That's really big. Yeah. I was, so. I'm going to have him, he's coming to the guardian conference in Oklahoma city and, uh, nice. we, we shoot together once a month or so. And, yeah. uh, and I told him when he got into it, I was like, I don't care what time of night or day, uh, what question you think might be silly to ask. I will, I promise you when it comes to guns, I will never make fun of you or, or be, you know, 
egotistical about it or anything like that. And he, you know, we ride bikes together. So it was always a constant, let's beat up on each other on the bike, see who's in better shape or whatever. And, and I was like, we're going to put all that aside and I'm going to show you how to, how to safely do this and, and get you on the path and set you with people that I know and trust that when I'm not around, you can, you can go shoot with this guy or this guy and you can start forming your own opinions. And, uh, you know, he didn't know the difference in bullet grain weight. And that was an interesting, I was like, man, I haven't had this conversation in 20 years Uh, because the guys I associate with, we just know, right. It's just common knowledge. Right. And uh, I want to get him on to kind of further what you're talking about, about these paths to development and uh, just, get a raw interview of that uh, at some point, but you know, what's really, really interesting. I just, just mentioned something um, came to mind. One of the, one of the big things that we've got now that we didn't have uh, when I, when I first started out, you know, there was no YouTube 15, 16 years ago, right. Mm-hmm. And YouTube had just really started to, uh, to kind of the carve out its niche. There weren't a lot of people who were being paid to create content and, people putting up match footage. It was, you know, it was an involved process. Remember you had to like have your digital cam and then take the card and edit the thing and do all this. And, and, uh, you know, like iMovie or the fact that like, you know, everybody has like an iPhone now and you can just crop and edit and whatever and add music and effects or whatever. Um, hell IG does, does that for you if you want. Right. Um, it's that barrier to entry to create the content has become so much lower, which has allowed more content to, of course, to flourish. And I think, I think there's a lot of really good information that that's, that's out there that people, you know, when people start to research because they're starting to develop an opinion, um, there's a lot of really great places to look for answers. And, um, I'm going to shout out like a couple people, um, you know, in the competitive shooting world, Ben Steger, whether you love the guy or hate the guy, you know, <laughs> he has done an amazing amount of stuff for the sport. And um, the fact that him and Juan Shikim basically have uh, their their pro shooters thing um, where people can log in, pay a nominal fee and basically get feedback and really get a lot of great ideas. That's amazing. Um, the fact that there's people like Tom Gibbons who are doing a lot of really great classes out there and who's very open of course when you have a question or something you just email tom and hey you'll get an answer that that is amazing the access to people who have really um such a such a a wide and professional level of 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 information is just staggering there's a couple other people that i would definitely shout out um um armed and styled she's on i don't even know her real name but she's on instagram she puts out a lot of really, really thought provoking YouTube videos uh, and IG videos that are talking about, um, well, women concealed carriers. Mm-hmm. And that is that that's, you know, there's a lot of very practical. I mean, uh, I'm a dude, you're a dude, T-shirt, whatever, board shorts, right. J-frame, right. Or, or, hey, clip, clip on holster or whatever. Off we go. You know, I think there's maybe some more nuance to to how. The, the other, the fairer half, you know, tends to uh, get ready and get dressed and whatever. And there, there's some really good practical information. And man, I listened to that. She, she's got some 
amazing content. And uh, I don't even know this person other than on Instagram or whatever. But uh, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of really great info out there. If something if something seems like it doesn't make sense, people's bullshit meters are pretty good. You know, mm-hmm. then maybe you ask somebody who maybe knows a little bit more and they can steer you in the right direction and say, yeah, that's actually not a bad, bad take on it. Or, eh, you know, maybe consider doing, asking these people if that's, that's right or not, you know, maybe you can get some perspective that way. But um, just the access to information is just, it's staggering. And it's, it's really great. Um, once people begin to have that opinion and you start to research then I think that that's where that pays dividends, you know, maybe not the other way around where you research first and then you're just paralyzed and unable to make a decision because you don't have that opinion. You don't have an an answer that you're looking for or even a question that you're asking yet. After you've been doing it a little while, you begin to have those questions, you begin to seek out those answers. And that's where researching, I think make, makes, makes the difference there. So, yeah, I, uh, one of my, my favorites and one of the channels I recommend people to uh, a lot is Carrie trainer or Bud mm. Mick uh, because yeah. he puts out content for the gamut. Uh, you yeah. know, everything from thought provoking topics to, okay, you just bought your first gun. Let's, yeah. you know, let's talk about belts. Let's talk about holsters, you know, uh, how to go to the range and practice, you know, stuff that yes. over time yes. I look at and I go, I, I, you know, I kind of scroll through that stuff and, and then lately I've been going back and, and taking pieces of that and saying, okay, my friend, Chris, if I've got to talk to him about something, where's a resource, you know, and, uh, there is rumblings that, uh, shortly our, our mutual pals over at Langdon tactical are going to release some, uh, some really good kind of like dip your all the way from like dip your toe in the pool to, you know, the three meter high dive of, of, and all points in between of, of the gun world. So looking That's forward awesome. to that a lot, but, uh, shall we enter the light, the lightning round? I, I think we, or you got, some I more? I, I've got, I've got one, one other thing to, to add. I think this is, um, you know, we hit on this idea of like, you know, you bought this gun, you start shooting, you take a class and then it's like, and the question comes up is now what? And, how do I practice? How do I get better? Whatever. Um, if you're taking a class and you've got access to your instructor, that's oftentimes a really good place to, to voice that question. But sometimes getting out to the range and setting up your own targets and everything kind of gets tedious. And I think that's where, that's where when a person's at a, at a, I don't want to call it like a beginner level, but when you're kind of starting out a few years in, sometimes it's good to just go to a match. Um, you, begin to see like shooting problems or, or you get exposure to certain things. And that basically becomes like a really convenient proxy for practice carve out a day. There's accountability. Somebody's keeping score. You can reflect on that. You can see if you've made progress or not. And you don't have to think about what you're going to set up because somebody else is doing that. You pay your 20 bucks and off you go and you shoot, shoot the stages and have fun for the afternoon. And I think that that's a really good way to, um, to, you know, if you're not going to get to the range pretty often to practice, you don't have like that set things of what you want to practice yet, at least getting out to a match, like once or twice a month or whatever, that starts to fill in some of those gaps. And that starts to point to certain things that maybe you should practice. 
strong hand we can, right? You know, yeah. whatever. Um, everybody's goats, right? <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But uh, but I mean, I think that, that that's a, a, another sensible thing for a lot of people who are getting started. You know, buy a gun, shoot it, take a few classes, start going to matches. You start going to matches, then you start trying to figure out what else you need to fix or what's going to work or what's not. And that's, that's, that's kind of like a really great roadmap, but, but yeah, lightning round I'm game. Yeah. So, so some people I saw on your, your Instagram story, you, uh, you pitched, Hey, I'm going to be on a podcast. What, uh, you know, what should we talk about? And there was some really good stuff. And of course, the number one thing was talk about the Beretta 92. And I was intimidated to even ask because, I am a complete propeller head about the 92. Uh, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think you and I both share that mutual love of that platform and, yeah. and, uh, coming from, you know, I used to build 1911s. I used to actually sit down and build, you know, Caspian, this, that, and the other, and Wilson wow. part, all this stuff and went to school to do it. And after doing that, I have much love and appreciation for the utter simplicity of a Beretta and how easy it is to make it really good. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. People, people talk about like all the, the complexity and the, you know, the spring counts and everything. And it's just like, yeah, I, I mean, it, you know, there, there are more parts than a Glock, but you know, they all do something and they do something for a specific reason. Um, yeah. Uh, one of the big questions I get a lot is why the Beretta 92. And um, so, when I, when I started shooting the Brennan 92, um, I was shooting a Glock. I had started with a Glock, mm-hmm. like, like, you know, most people probably should. Right. And, um, uh, you know, the plastic grip, you know, practicing reloads and whatever started to get chewed up. And, uh, I was looking, I was maybe looking to do something that, you know, would hold up a little bit better. And, uh, somebody said, well, why don't you buy a metal frame firearm? So it was the Breda uh, CZ Tanfolio had a couple, couple guns. They hadn't come out with the stock two yet. They had, uh, their Tanfolio, I forget what it was, the, um, limited something. But anyway, um, uh, I, my hands didn't really fit the Tanfolio. The trigger was kind of rough. I didn't know what to do with it. Uh, the CZ was kind of nice, but the, the whole like double single system on, on the CZ 75 is a little weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, this kind of getting arcane for a second, you know, the, uh, you can cock it and lock it. There's no decocker on it. It's like, what, you know? So I kind of settled on, uh, on the, the Beretta, I found a 92 G, um, I bought that. I found a, it was a, an elite and, uh, I loved it. I just, immediately started shooting it and uh, really liked it. It was a, it was a sound choice, you know, for competition and also for just carrying the gun. Right. Uh, you know, I could actually carry what I shot in competition that, that paid dividends. And, um, uh, the gun had a decocker and it, you know, was hammer fired double action had, it had that margin of safety. I, I felt, uh, when I started appendix carrying it, then, that margin of safety again, I think just made it sit a little bit better with me than it's not like a, you know, an HK or one of the new Walters where the strikers already pretensioned and it's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's pretty light trigger pull. It's like, hmm, you know, I've got a little more margin to, to, to mess up with God forbid. Um, so I just, 
uh, it, it kind of made sense and it just stuck. It was, again, there, there's no right or wrong answer. It was just a preferential thing. It's like it fit my hand. I like the way the sights lined up. I like the trigger press and, and off it went. And when Ernest actually set that gun up, um, uh, that was pretty cool. That's the gun I made GM on as well. I still have that thing. And um, uh, it's pretty awesome. Um, it's safe queen now. She's, she's had a lot of rounds through it. But, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like once you find like, oh, kind of just swap in the D-spring and, you know, polish this hammer a little bit and, and everything, then it really turns that gun into something really, really imminently shootable. And uh, add some nicer sights. Uh, you know, the elites, of course, they have mm-hmm. the dovetailed front sight. You could, uh, could really like settle on something that was really, um, really going to work in competition and also really work for, for carry. Um, not, not that those integral front sights on, on the stock 92 G are bad or whatever. That's probably actually my favorite Beretta is like, I've got this 92 G that's kind of a dog and, and, yeah. uh, it's got the integral sight and I put a, one of my rear sights on it. And that thing has been great. I've done a little, little trigger work, but it's kind of stockish. Yeah. And, uh, and it's been, it's been a hell of a gun. Um, I have, I have two big reasons for the love of it. One, it doesn't matter what era, what generation, what, you know, what factory it came out of. I can shoot that gun to absolute pieces and in about 45 minutes, completely rebuild it. And there's no, there's no thinking about, well, does this part interface with this part? Am I going to have to remove it? It's, it's plug and play. And because they've held, they, they've held their tolerances so well and they haven't changed them in like 35, 40 years. So, um, that's number one. And then number two is just the way the operating system works. The, the barrel locking block, instead of having an, uh, the complete mass of the barrel falling away, you have a locking block that weighs, you know, less than an ounce that's dropping out of the way to get the gun to cycle. Right. So consequently, like a new shooter, that's maybe a little recoil shy with a polymer pistol with a traditional Browning lockup system. There's a lot of, uh, felt recoil, even in a nine millimeter for somebody that doesn't know how to grip a gun or whatever you hand them a 92 and it's like, oh, well, that was really soft. I hear that all yeah. the time. That that shot really soft compared to the other ones. And uh, so I have a, a real appreciation for that because, one, I can run the gun really well uh, because rec- – and I almost get lazy when I go back to Glocks and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, sure. shoot, I got to clamp down on this sucker to drive it. And – the 92 is just a very forgiving platform to shoot, uh, on the recoil front and just the, the dynamics of how that gun cycles. So it so, was fun, uh, yeah. uh, kind of along that line, yeah. you know, how to, how to maintain a 92 for, for competition. One of the fun things to do was actually, I'm not recommending, you know, this for a carry gun at all. And maybe for a competition gun, you know, caveat safe Harbor, right. You know, mm-hmm. insert lawyer clauses here. Right. Um, but it's uh you know you take an eight pound spring and you throw it in there and uh get yourself a nice like like 12 pound mainspring right and uh the gun oh man that gun 
tracks. It, it shoots really flat, especially if you pack the gun like the top end full of grease. Gunfighter, <laughs> gunfighter grease works real good. Um, it's thin enough where it doesn't bind in the cold temperatures and stuff. And uh, man, I mean, it, it's spraying oil everywhere. And after you know every stage, you're probably going to have to go and pump a little more grease and <laughs> you know into the locking block and into the lugs and, and the, the frame rails there. But uh, but man, that gun shoots super soft and super. It, it just shoots super flat. Yeah. And um, so that, that, that's a lot of fun. But, you know, if you're reloading your own ammunition and using some minor power factor loads, then that, that's, that's great. You probably don't want to put plus P plus in there or anything, right. you know, but um, not, not that configuration. But it's uh, that, yeah, there, there's stupid tricks like that, that, uh, that sometimes, you know, for competition may yield little additional low hanging fruit or, or something right. like that. But, uh, um, but, but generally speaking, uh, whatever, you know. Um, not, not so interested in that rabbit hole anymore. Yeah. yeah. I, and I just, I appreciate that I can take the, like the elite LTT and I can go run it at a match and then I can stick it in my appendix rig and put, uh, as our, as our bro Ernest calls it social ammo, yeah. load it with social ammo. And that, you know, I, I, there's no, well, I got to put this belt on with this and that and the other, and, and let me get my competition gun. It's like, man, I can be really high level competitive with just my stock gun here with very, very minimal effort. So you, you hit it, you hit it on the nose. That's, that, that's one of the big things that I've been, I've been shooting from the appendix probably for, for like three, three years now. Um, it's been, you know, in all the matches that I'm going to, I just do that. It's just, it's been kind of fun. Uh, they've changed the, the rules and carry optics to allow appendix carry, which is, which is good because carry is in the title carry optics. Right. So it's like, cool. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's one of those things at the end of the match, you kind of, you know, you leave the safe table and you get to your car and, you know, load up and, you know, the same configuration that I shot the match and I'm leaving the parking lot ready to, ready to go to home Depot or the mall where I'm going to need four mags and stuff. And, right. and uh, <laughs> that, that, that sort of thing, right. You know, Chick-fil-A is real busy, you know, but, yeah. uh, 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 but it's, you know, it's one of those things where it, it's a, it's a great gun for, for that kind of stuff. And, um, and now the, the manner in which people can compete if they wanted to, that, that, that's pretty cool too. The, the fact that it's possible to do that now. Right. Um, yeah, without a, a huge investment in gear, right? Yeah, yeah. I need my race gun and right. race pouches and everything. It's yeah. weird. I, I went back to I went back to shooting with some race gear for for a while just to. Um, I was considering shooting it for for USPSA Nationals and uh, uh, Care Optics Nationals, and it's just I'm not. I find I'm not that much faster with with the draw or anything like that. I'm faster with the reloads for sure. You don't need to clear your cover garment out of the way but um but just the fun it just wasn't as fun so i gotta strap all this stuff on forget it let's just nah, you know let's go to the match with what i'm gonna carry and, and let's see how that shakes out so yeah yeah that, I, that's, I, that's been a good time yeah i shot an open gun for a month and sold it because yeah. it was the constant rabbit hole of well i gotta have this spring with this powder with this bullet with this that Oh crap. Do I have enough for this? I got to fire up the 650. You know, yeah. I mean, it was just a constant battle. And I thought, man, I would just assume throw my, throw my 92 in a blade tech holster and go like it yeah. and be, be competitive. So, 
Uh, and we would be remiss uh, if we didn't say uh, talk about pizza. I, I actually got that when I teased this on social media. It was like I and for some reason it was it, it came up, but it was uh, there. It was a two part question. It was what is your favorite and where do you get it? Yeah, oh, that, that's uh, that's good. So um, so the dirty secret is um, my body is trying to kill me. And now I'm 44 and I'm a a dad. I really have to pay attention to this. I can't just, you know, do stupid shit all the time, but, um, uh, like eat pizza every day. Um, uh, for whatever reason, I'm one of those people who just produces too much cholesterol. And for whatever reason, the doctors and the dietitians have kind of hit on the fact that, uh, it may be the fact that, uh, um, the way I metabolize carbon, I'm not diabetic or anything like that, but yeah. uh, the way I metabolize carbohydrates leads to um, hypercholesterol production. So, um, so the dirty secret is, is that I can actually only eat pizza maybe once every couple months when I'm not doing my, you know, keto diet, which mm-hmm. sounds completely just, how can that possibly be healthy? you know, to eat bacon and butter and whatever. And, uh, and, but, uh, um, you know, drink olive oil and, uh, and avocados, but, but, um, uh, yeah. So, uh, the, it, it's, it's a blessing and a curse that I live in Sarasota and there are so many really good, like real Neapolitan pizza places. There's a couple of really good New York pizza places. We've got, since we also have Chicagoans that come to the Gulf, uh, Gulf side of Florida, there's a couple of pretty good deep dish places as well. I'm, I'm not a pizza snob. All pizza is good pizza. Um, you know, unless it has pineapple on it, but, um, <laughs> you know, that was the yeah. third, that was actually the third yeah. thing was, do you put pineapple on a pizza? I mean, <laughs> if that's all they have, I would eat it, you know, but, uh, but I won't be happy about it, but, uh, but let, let, let's face it being hungry, um, and, and sated is, is, uh, better than being picky, but, but, um, yeah, I mean, there are just so many good places around here. We've got uh, a place called atmosphere, which is run by a friend of mine, Antonio. Um, we've got a place called Napoli, which makes, it's a really high end Italian restaurant. They have a pizza, like pizza oven. That's amazing. Um, so real like wood fire pizzas. It's, it's pretty awesome stuff here. Um, so I've got like my choice of literally 15, 20 different pizza places in, in Sarasota that just, just deliver like amazing pizza. Um, my preference is, uh, actually really like a good margarita yeah. pizza margarita and, um, pepperoni pizza is pretty good too. Uh, I do like that as the namesake would, would, uh, imply. Um, but, uh, yeah, th- there's one place here that does like a pizza and they have like garlic and garlic oil. Holy crap. Like, I mean, the guy like smashes the garlic every day cause they mix with a vat of it and they mm-hmm. put it on like everything for it. And when they put all that over the pizza, wow, it's like, that's really good. So, well, now that but, we, uh, yeah. we ventured that rabbit hole, uh, I give every guest a final thought. If you get a final yeah. thought on, you know, I think we covered pizza pretty well, but you know, on yeah. getting into the shooting community or, or whatever, uh, sure. Fire away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my, my first jujitsu coach was Paul Sharp and Paul Sharp has a, a really good, um, advice, which is you just want to be 1% better every day. And that that's the thing. People look too far or too much, I should say at an outcome 
and they're trying to determine what the outcome is going to be, I think you just have to show up and be open to the possibilities. And if you're never showing up to any events like a match or training or something to get that perspective and get that nuance, then, um, then you might be doing yourself a disservice. You're not, you're not being put into an uncomfortable position slightly that's going to be the catalyst for growth. And, um, and that's, that's essentially what you, what you want to do. Uh, get a little bit better every time you go out, get a, you know, learn a little bit more every time you go. And that, that's huge. So. Well, thanks a bunch. Less, less kiss Mertoni, everyone. Uh, which I haven't seen him on a whole lot of other podcasts. So thanks again for uh, coming on and talking like average guy, CCW stuff and, and competition stuff. And uh, you know, my, my one piece of advice to you is if you're interested in the, the whole defensive handgunning world, just jump off, jump in, jump off, jump in. Uh, you know, it's, it's no reason to be intimidated by it. Uh, thanks to our sponsors this week, Excess Sites, CCW Safe, save 10% off your membership at checkout with Off-Duty 10, EDC Belt Company, the Foundation Belt, and uh, the Guardian Conference coming up. Also, click in the show notes for the Concealed Carry Podcast giveaway. you got to enter weekly, so uh, get signed up there and... and uh, have a chance to win some cool gear coming up uh pretty quick on the guardian conference i'll be there it seems like i'm going to be teaching quite a bit so stop by and say hi if you haven't already please subscribe to the podcast on itunes google play spotify or wherever you like to listen to podcasts the off-duty on-duty podcast is a production of eastridge training and consulting llc Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC, presents the following content for educational purposes only. Always take proper precautions, follow all firearm safety rules, consult with a competent firearms instructor, and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel when researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.